And all God's people together said, if that doesn't light your fire this new year, your wood's wet. That's good stuff. We have victory in Jesus Christ. He has broken every shackle and every chain. Well, I've said it already once this morning, but let me say again, Happy New Year. I don't know what's in front of you. I'm not much of a resolutions guy, but I do put together goals, and I try to think through, okay, reflectively over last week, you know, we got to catch our breath between Christmas and New Year a little bit, and and just begin thinking about where we want to go as a family, individually in my own life, looking at goals and and just focuses of, of evangelism, sharing the gospel more, reading the word more, memorizing the word, saving money, losing weight, getting in shape, all those kinds of things kind of come into place. And maybe you are a resolutions person, I don't know, but I, I, I read some really, really good ones. I want to just ask, what's in front of you? What is in front of you right now? What is it that you're hanging on to? Maybe you've said, I'm going to follow along with our church family and read through the whole Bible this year. Maybe you've been a Christian for for many years, but you've never done that. And you said, this is going to be the year. Well, I want to encourage you to do that. But stick with it. It's healthy for us to have things in front of us out there to strive toward or or reach. I I saw a couple of New Year's resolutions, though, that popped up over the course of of, uh, this past week, and I'll share a few of them with you. Here was one. They said, my goal last year was to lose 15 pounds this year, only 20 to go. Yeah, some of you can appreciate that. How about this? My goal for 2019 is to accomplish the goals that I set for 2018. And I should because I set them in 2017, having promised to do them in 2016 when I thought about them in 2015. This was my personal favorite. Somebody said, I can't believe it's been a whole year that I didn't become a better person. So here's the question. How long will you keep them? Will it be a week? Will it be a month? When will that moment of aha realization where you scratch your head and go, now didn't I resolve to do something? And you'll forget. But it's good to have something to strive toward. It's good for you to reach forward. And I said this in a vision message about a month ago that we desire to follow God's lead. I hope that that's real for you. I hope that you would be honest enough to say, Today and in 2019, I want for me what God wants for me. That you're willing to set aside your own agenda and say, I want to follow after the Lord. That's a hard thing. I mean, it's very real. I'm not talking philosophy. I'm talking nuts and bolts, daily grind kind of stuff. Are you going to follow God in the way that you pursue your job? Are you going to follow God in the way that you treat your neighbor? Are you going to follow God in your relationships with your family or with lost people or in the church family? You see, it's easy for us to twist those things up and to get them confused and mixed up. But are we willing to follow God by faith? That's what we talked about in Sunday school this morning. And today I want us just to continue as we uh, comprehend this notion that there's a big picture story. You see... Uh, the, the framework for all that we're studying in 2019 is this, that we are looking at God's grand story, that there is one big picture. And, and if, if you're like me, you enjoy putting puzzles together, but, but for me, I, I definitely like it when we get to the place of having all of the edge pieces put in place. There's something comforting when I go, okay, I know it's not 
this big, it's this big. Whether it's 500 pieces or 1,000, it seems like there's a million until you get all of those edges together. Well, what we want to do through our study together is put the edges in place so you get a picture. The picture is critical, but the foundation is not the, the edge, and it's not the whole picture. It's not the box. It's the table. God is holding all of this together, but He has one story for us, and if we... Are, are honest with ourselves, there's really only two ways to live. Either you're going to live God's way or you're going to live your own way. And living your own way is fleshed out in all kinds of different religious systems. It, it may be atheism, it may be Buddhism or Hinduism, it may be just humanism. You just begin to worship yourself. And you may not ever even say that, but if we're not attuned to living God's way by faith, then we're walking by one of two other things, either by sight or by thought. And so for you and for me, let's begin together to say, we want to walk by faith. We just want to test the evidence. Imagine with me, if you will, for just a moment, jumping out of an airplane. Some of you say, I don't even want to think about it. Why would you want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane? I I knew I would get an amen out of that somewhere. How many of you have the desire to skydive in your lifetime? All right, a bunch of you. That's very good. How many of you have ever been skydiving? That's encouraging because you're still here and you're still able to lift a limb. I'm glad to know that because it's on my list. It's one of the things that I want to do at at some point. I really do. And as soon as Stephanie agrees to it, we're going to go do that, (laughs) which means I'm never going to jump out of an airplane because she's not. Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, and we're going to stay down low with Jesus. Imagine, though, jumping out of an airplane without a parachute. And as you're on your way down, you're screaming at the top of your lungs. Gravity may be true for you, but it's not true for me. And as you continue to accelerate in speed, you say, I don't believe in gravity. Now, some of you are keenly aware of the gravitational pull of this earth on your body. Maybe that was one of your resolutions is to try to counteract it a little bit by losing a little weight. But we all know that gravity exists and it's true. Why? Because of the evidence. If I drop something, it falls. If I trip, I'll fall. Things go southward. They go down. Why? Because of gravity. And when we drop something and it falls or we trip and it falls, we need to point out that it doesn't matter if I believe in gravity or not. Gravity is true because of the evidence. And I've said this to you before, kind of tongue-in-cheek, my dog does not believe in gravity. He doesn't even know what gravity is, but I've never watched him float off the front porch. And what I'm trying to to share with you is just a foundational thought that whether you believe in something that is true or not doesn't change the fact that it's true. And what we're wanting to work toward in 2019 is really an investigation of the evidence. Is God really real? And if He is, it changes the perspective on everything that we do. How we live, it changes the perspective on what we think, how we relate to one another. It changes the perspective on on numerous things, some big questions of life. 
I've been in dialogue over the past year with some international students at the university, and in our dialogue, we've talked about some competing religious systems. And I want you to think about this. Let's put this next question up. Do you think that any single belief about God can be true? I've heard people say this, God is true for you, or Christianity is true for you, but something else is true for me. As if somehow truth about God is just a personal opinion. But in the Bible, we see that it claims truth for everyone. Truth that supersedes opinion. Truth that supersedes uh, belief and thought and feeling. Truth that exists whether we believe it or know it or like it or not. Just like gravity. In essence, the Bible warns us in leaving this world without heeding its perspective, its crucial advice. And the Bible is, in essence, telling us that leaving this world without taking the advice of this book is more dangerous than jumping out of that airplane without a parachute. Does that make sense? If something is wrong, do you want to know it? That's a harsh question. Because there are some things in your life, you just say, well, ignorance is bliss, and I'll just stay blistered. I don't mind being in the dark. But there are some things that are wrong, and if you don't follow after the truth, then there will be grave consequence. There will be harm. Such is the case with our beliefs about God. And so I'm just simply painting a picture for you that there is a sense of objective truth. And I want us to consider this matter very, very closely in 2019 as we study the Bible together because it's not something that we invent. Let me give you a quote that I want you to to hear. I'll put it on the screen. The truth about God's existence and His identity has nothing to do with feelings or what any person or group desires it to be true. Truth is discovered, not invented. I want us to read that statement together. If we can, sit up straight. Sit up straight. I'm watching for you to shift. Take in a big deep breath and read with me. The truth about God's existence and identity has nothing to do with feelings or what any person or group desires to be true. Truth is discovered, not invented. You see, I want to say a word to you today. Maybe you came in this place and you are not a Christian. Maybe you're even bold enough to say that. You say, I don't know that I believe in Jesus Christ or "I, I don't believe in Christ. I'm glad you're here. If you've ever thought that your family wanted you to follow after Christianity, to become a Christian simply because they wanted you to believe what they believe, then you're sadly mistaken. Your family and your friends and this church want you to become a Christian because it's true. And because the counterpart, the falsehood of not following Jesus Christ has grave consequence. I I want you to know that we are glad that you're here this morning. And for all of you, even those of you that are already following Christ, I pray that this would bring confidence into your faith world. I want you to understand that we believe that you deserve an opportunity to examine and to to think through the facts with your own eyes and be aware of the Bible's implications for your life now and for eternity. That's why I led our church to read through the Bible together. There's nothing more important that we can do than to invest time seeking after the heart of God, the meaning of life. 
And you say, wow, I didn't realize I was coming to church to get such a big picture view. Well, if we don't consider these facts, we ought to just stick our heads in the sand and hope for the best. If something really is false, if it's wrong, if it's untrue, then I think we ought to know it. You see, we understand that gravity is true because of the evidence, and I believe that we're going to see evidence. Now, I I want you to hear this, church family. You're not going to convince people because of all of the evidence to follow Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we follow the Lord by faith. And the greatest apologetic, the greatest uh, argument for Christianity is love. The greatest argument for the Christian faith is a sense of right and wrong that is based in the heart of man because we have the character and nature of God. We're going to look at that together very, very intently this morning. Let me share with you a couple more quotes. This one from C.S. Lewis. He said, Christianity, if, if false, is of no importance. Think about that. If Christianity is really not true, if the Bible is not real, th- then it's of no importance. It's useless. It's worthless. But he goes on and says, if it's true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing that it cannot be is moderately important. What I'm saying to you this morning, church family, is either this book is true or it's not. And we have the choice to either embrace it or reject it in entirety. And if it's false, then we ought to just go about our lives. We ought to close the doors and sell the property and go about our Sundays on our own free time doing whatever we desire. But if it is true, then we ought to give our lives for it. We ought to give our lives for the pursuit of the one who wrote it. We ought to give our lives for that relationship because he gave his life in order that you could have that relationship. And so in this year, as we look at the big picture study together, as we learn the story, we're going to discover how this all fits together. And I pray that we'll encourage you to consider all of the facts and we'll encourage you to use reason and logic and even common sense. You need to understand that faith and logic don't exist in a mutually exclusive way. It doesn't mean that you have to check your brain at the door to be a follower of Jesus. The Christian worldview makes sense. When you begin to put it together, the evidence that we have is not just scientific evidence, it's evidence. And you can look at it biblically or scientifically, but it doesn't change the fact that the evidence is there. And as we'll look at the evidence of things like Noah's flood, and we'll look at the evidence of these people that God spoke to, the Hebrews. And if we look at the evidence of the historical uh, Jesus Christ, a man who came into earth and had profound impact on people that did believe and people that still don't believe. It's either of no importance, of infinite importance, but what it cannot be is moderately important. So I ask you, out of all of your resolutions and out of all of your thoughts and goals and plans for 2019, have you really given any credence to God's place in your year, in your family, in your home? Not just a tip of the hat but to a place where you say, this is real. And because it's real, I'll give my very life for it. It becomes of infinite importance to how I raise my children, how I raise my grandchildren, how I speak to my neighbors. Look with me, if you will, at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and following. 
Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. By the way, who's he speaking to? The Trinity. God the Father speaking, and we see, speaking to Jesus and to speaking to uh, the Holy Spirit, we see a powerful thing there. As we read this the other day, my daughter and my wife, both kind of this aha moment in our first day of reading, we got excited and said, God is showing something about himself from very early on. Let us make man in our image. And we'll talk about that greatly this year. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth. And the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. And then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. I want us to pray together and ask God to give us a hunger and a yearning for clarity and truth. Let's pray. Father, continue through your word on this journey of 2019 to speak to us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak even now. Take over, God. I I pray that you would hide me behind the, the cross and that I would decrease and that you would increase and that truth would prevail even in this place. Lord, thank you for our time together and thank you for your word. Help us to be willing to accept truth in Jesus' name. And all of God's people together said, amen. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about where your worldview comes from? Your worldview, that's simply your lens on everything that you see. Oh, it was shaped by your parents. It was shaped by the the street that you lived on and the teachers that you had growing up and the teachers that you still have. Your worldview was shaped by the media at some level. It was shaped by church. But the worldview that I'm talking about today is a biblical worldview, a Christian worldview. A worldview is simply nothing more than this. It's in your notes, a comprehensive framework. It's attitudes about the world, ourselves, life, a system of beliefs, a system of personally customized theories about how the world works and how it is. How do you look at the world? Do you look at the world as evil and scary? Or is the world around you good? As you think about those things, where would you get those concepts? You see, God created a world that was good. He said over and over again through the days of creation. We read that this week. It is good. It is good. It is good. He looked upon everything that he'd made after making man and said it is very good. And as we consider worldviews, there are people all around this globe, billions of people that have vastly differing beliefs about the world. They look at the world through different lenses, whether they're atheist, Hindu, Buddhist, Mormon, Christian, whatever that might be. Let me give you... Uh, this a soundbite, if you will, from a man named Ravi Zacharias. He was a Hindu, and he he came to faith in Christ after a suicide attempt. He was desperately longing for truth, and and he could not find answers that satisfied his soul in a religious system. And and he came to this place where he began to look at the world. And I want you to see this. This is a a dynamic, powerful statement. I, I position the sequence of fact and deduction in the following way. All he's saying is logic makes sense when you look at what he's about to talk about. Love is the ultimate 
supreme ethic. He, he's saying if you look, love really begins to explain a lot of things. I mean, when, when we love, atheists don't really think about that. You get all you can, can all you can get. When you die, you just cash in your chips and your food for the worms. Life's over. But if there's meaning and purpose to this life, then love has a part of it. Now, he goes on to say this. Where there's the possibility of love, there must be the reality of free will. And and there are people that have debated this. Theologians have debated this. But I believe that God, in creating us in His image, gave us the opportunity to respond to Him. And He created an environment where love is real. And because love exists, there must exist the possibility of free will. And if the reality of free will exists, there must be the inevitability of the possibility of sin. If I have the choice to rebel against God, then I can choose to sin. And if there's the possibility of sin, there's a need for, help me out with it, what's the word? A Savior. So if love is the driving ethic and love creates an environment of free will and free will gives the possibility of sin and sin gives the need for a, help me out, Savior, watch this. Where there's a Savior, there is, say it loud. Hope for redemption. Say that whole sentence. Where there is a Savior, there is hope for redemption. That ought to make you shout. You mean in this messed up world where I have been hurt, I've been offended, I've been lied to, I've been cussed at, I've been abused, I've been neglected, not just me, but all of us collectively, our human experience. I've experienced the darkness of evil. You mean there's hope in the midst of that? Yes. Now watch this. Only in the Judeo-Christian worldview does this sequence find its total expression and answer. The atheist can't explain those things. The Buddhist can't explain those things. The Hindu can't explain those things. The Muslim can't explain those things. All of this sequence fits. Let's keep going. We'll we'll see this. The story from sin to redemption is only in the gospel with the ultimate provision of a loving God. Hallelujah. The gospel explains life. When you try to make sense of why you want to lose weight and why you're trying to do better and be right and and, and you're trying to achieve all these goals, those things have absolutely no meaning or purpose or ultimate hope without the gospel. And so today, I want to go back to a question I ask you. Are you willing to seek truth? Because if you are, then it starts with what we read in the beginning, God created And then God created man, and he created them in his own image, and he established for them a purpose and a priority and a relationship in creating us in his image. And the beauty of this is that we begin to see that that flows. Love gives the opportunity for free will, that gives the possibility of sin, that necessitates the need for a Savior who offers hope and redemption. I want to give to you four quick words this morning. These are apologetic words, and that doesn't mean that I'm sorry for them. If you've never heard that phrase, apologetics is simply a word for defense. It comes from a Latin word, apologia. That doesn't impress anybody. It didn't impress me. I thought you might want to hear it. It just simply means to defend. And if we're going to defend the truth of our faith, then I want you to consider that worldview asks and answers four questions. And I bet every single one of you have asked these questions. You may not have thought about them framed this way, but you've asked the question, where did we come from? 
And that's the question of origin. The question of origin. Every worldview makes up some sense of origin. Where do we come from? The atheist would say that nothing bumped into nothing and it exploded loudly and created everything. Well, guess what? That takes faith. Whatever you're placing your worldview in, I would would ask a question. Do you have evidence to back it up? Is there evidence to back up what you think you believe about life, about origin, about where things came from? And as you consider this notion of origin and asking where did we come from, I want you to see from different places. You see, there's rational problems with a worldview that something came from nothing. Why? Because something has never come from nothing. Unintelligence doesn't produce intelligence. A cosmic explosion doesn't create order and fine-tuning. I would would say it this way. If a Mercedes-Benz factory exploded in total, it wouldn't make a whole bunch of little Mercedes-Benz. It would make a mess. An explosion brings chaos and disorder. And when you begin to look logically, and as we follow through this year, I'm not trying to just make a defense for the Bible rationally, I want to make it in love. I want us to love on Hattiesburg and the Pine Belt and the world so loudly that the people around us say there is no possible explanation for that kind of love, for that kind of forgiveness, for that kind of of transformation other than the fact that God did something in the hearts and lives of those people. I I can argue all day long, but my arguments are not going to convince anyone. I I just simply want you to see this, that the evidence will convince the convinced. If you're trusting God by faith, I want to steal your resolve because some of you kids are going to go off to college and they're going to be people with competing worldviews and they're going to chip away at this. They're going to chip away and they'll say, you're a fool if you believe God created anything. You're a fool if you don't believe in science. You're a fool if you don't believe in evolution. But the Bible says about that very thought, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And the world around us is being absolutely run by fools. That was not a political statement, but it may apply. Never mind, I'm not going there. The system of the world is so tainted against God. The Bible simply says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, let us make man in our image. And he created them in the image of God, male and female. And he gave to them, as you read in verse 27 and following, purpose. I want you to have dominion. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. There's a rational sense. You see, the atheist believes as, as life goes that we are nothing more than evolutionary chance and process. Life began from random interactions of chemicals and evolved through natural selection and mutating genes. But the Christian believes in the beginning God created. Let me give you a second word that worldview answers. Not only does it answer origin, it deals with meaning. What is the purpose of life? And there's the question that we often ask ourselves. Why are we here? Have you ever found yourself asking that question? You're laying in bed or, or you're in a quiet, still place and you just go, this is real. I've seen things and hearing things. Why am I here? We, we ask the question, where did I come from and why am I here? But as we ask that question, why am I here? The atheist says, ultimately, life is without meaning or purpose. For your brief existence, it is whatever you make it to be. 
in the, a book called the Young Atheist Handbook. Yes, of course, I know that life is ultimately without meaning or purpose, but the trick is not to wake up every morning and feel that way. So, so in the atheist mind, it's just to, to try to create something out of nothing? Or what about this notion that there is deeper meaning and there is deeper purpose, that God longs for me to live in loving community with Him and with His people in a world that He created filled with wonder and with beauty? You see, there are those glimpses of God. Country music stars even understand this. When they write songs that are like this, well, today I saw God. I saw God in a flower that was growing up in a, a crack in the sidewalk. Now, I'm not saying that country musicians are good theologians. There's a lot of lousy theology and a lot of music. But the bottom line is, when we see beauty and order and structure, it came from a loving God who created everything to be good. And all of this ought to bring some sense of comfort. I, I hope that you're still checked in with me. You haven't lost me. Some of you are saying, Scott, I know all of this. But every time I hear the story, I'm all the more amazed. God, there's a reason for me to be here. I mean, again, if I believe that all there was waiting for me was dirt and unconsciousness, that I would die and no longer exist at all, then why do I want to get up and go to work every day? Why do I want to be nice to people? Why do I want to do anything other than serve me? I mean, if I really believed at the heart level that all of this world is all about what's going on right now, and I'm not guaranteed another second, I might get hit by a train or have a heart attack, then why not run off to Las Vegas, steal all I can on the way, gamble all I can while I'm there, see if I can turn it into something more, and just enjoy indulging me? Because at the end of the day or the end of my life, I'm just going to walk away from it all anyway. Why does it make sense that I would love my neighbor? Why would it make sense that I would try to do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with God? Because the Bible says in a biblical worldview, that's what he desires. Does this make sense to anybody here? Are we tracking along? You see, worldview answers the question. Now, if you are here today and you are a Hindu or if you're a Muslim or you're an atheist, you have a worldview. You are trusting by faith that nothing bumped into nothing and became something. You are trusting by faith that there's another system that is put together. It's all faith. You have to. You don't have concrete evidence. But the evidence that the world begins to exude really lines up with this Judeo-Christian model of sin, a savior, and redemption. It gives us an understanding of where we came from and why we're here. Number three, it also gives us a sense of morality. A sense of morality. And again, this is one of those places where it breaks down with other systems. Is there a right and a wrong? And if there is, then where does that come from? Who sets the standard? Who establishes what's right, what's wrong? You see, how do we understand what's right and wrong? Let me go back through those, that, that grid, if you will. An atheist believes that morality is a process of genetics, deterministic chemicals operating within the brain and making our choices for us because we don't have any bearing for making decisions. While the atheist may be willing to accept, accept morality, maybe even as a process of evolution, there's still something pretty unsettling to the atheist about the notion of free will in our lives being nothing more than an illusion. 
they say, you know, there's something within my heart that says I need to do right. I need to honor my parents. I need to obey traffic laws. I, I need to do things that are right and wrong. I don't need to lie. Every culture everywhere has some sense of morality. And God tells us that he placed right and wrong in our hearts. He gave us the law to show us those things. Scott Gold of the Dawkins Foundation from Richard Dawkins fame concedes that if you take a deterministic or mechanical view of the universe, it seems absurd to think that we have free will. And since there's no uh, likely no one alive who takes a more mechanic, uh, mechanistic view of human behavior than Dawkins, he should stop going around and affirming free will and blaming and praising people. You, you can't have it both ways. There's an inconsistency that you have to live with if you believe that way. Is there a right and a wrong? And most of us, I, I will, I'm, I'm drawing toward a close, but I want you to stay with me. Most of us, even who have embraced Christianity, our struggle is right here. I believe that God created us. I believe that there's the origin answer. Everything came from God. I, I believe He's got a plan and a purpose for my life. Number three is this, I simply don't want to do it. I want to do it like Frank Sinatra, my way. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to follow his rules and his regulations. I want to accept his benefit. I want to go to heaven when I die. I don't want in any way, shape, form, uh, or fashion as I live through this life for my Christianity to impede my fun. And it's a skewed worldview. You see, I believe Satan has marred that. He's got us believing, well, it's all about just simply being religious and smiling and being nice and the do's and the don'ts. And it's about going to heaven when you die. And here's what's happened. We've had generations here in America where we've just said, come down the aisle and pray a prayer, raise your hand, sign a card, and we've sealed them into lostness because we told them, if you'll do this one little thing, then you'll be saved and sealed forever. And nothing seals a person into lostness more than a false sense of salvation. And church, I believe the reason that, that the church at large has become so impotent is because it's filled with religious lost people. Who aren't saying God set the standards. You see, I, I, I scratch the surface on this all the time. When I look at my own life, the longer I've lived as a Christian, the more sinful I recognize myself to be. The more places I realize that I bow up and say, God, I'm doing it my way, not yours. And I need to repent and repent and repent. But I do so not out of fear, but out of a sense of wonderful magnetic attraction to a Savior who brings the hope of redemption. It's about His love. That doesn't make sense in any other worldview. If you follow a God who is capricious and changes His mind, then, then you live in constant fear that He's just waiting to smack you on the head. That's not the God of the Bible. The God, is a, the God of the Bible is a God who so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever would believe in Him, walk by faith, trust that what He says is true, they would have eternal life. They would never perish. Ultimately, there's a final question that's asked and answered about worldview, and it's destiny. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Where will you spend eternity? Where will you spend eternity? 
I've shared this story in the past. I was sitting in a coffee shop with a guy, and we were dialoguing about eternity, and he said, I believe when you die, the light of your candle is snuffed out. And I, it sounded very poetic. He kind of looked off into the distance. I kind of looked off into the distance with him, wondering where he was getting this from. I said, that sounds like survivor to me. You know, the tribe has spoken. You're done. And I said, where did you get that? And I promise you, I, I'm sorry I've repeated this, but I, I've been so intrigued by this story over the years. He said, I read it in a book in college. And I said, okay, I'll play. Who wrote that book? And he scratched his head and with all sincerity said, I don't know. I can't remember. And I said to him, you really would stake your eternal destiny on the opinion of somebody else and you don't even know that guy's name? And he said, well, I guess I never really thought about it that way. I said, let me, let me just mess with him a little more. I said, what if since you graduated college, that guy that wrote that book that you can't remember, what if he changed his mind? That didn't affect you like it did me. That just blew his whole mind. I was like, that was good right there. So what if he changed his mind? What if he now believes that there's a sovereign God who sent a Savior to die for his sins and you need to repent of sin and trust him? I said, would you now believe that because you blind faith believe the other? And the reason that he was in blind faith believing the others because it sounded good to him. It fit his lifestyle. I'm not accountable to anyone. But real worldview answers the question, where did I come from? Why am I here? Is there a right and wrong? And where will I ultimately spend eternity? Where is my destiny? Have you thought about those four concepts? I pray that we've sparked some thought today and you would think about those. Don't leave this life headed for a destiny. You can jump out of the plane and say, I don't believe in gravity. It's not true for me. And the effects of gravity are going to take you to a destiny that you weren't, intended to go, you weren't intending to go to because you didn't believe it. Just because you don't believe there's a heaven or a hell doesn't change the fact of their existence. But all of this is centered around hope in a Savior who brings redemption. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you, Lord, for a journey through your word, and I pray that you would help us today to, to contemplate the big picture questions of life. We recognize that we came from you. We believe because your word tells us that we have purpose and meaning in you. We believe that right and wrong exist because you established the standards, and we believe that we have the opportunity to spend eternity with you in a joy-filled existence 